Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. We are really terrible at knowing ourselves. You would think that the one person that we spend every waking millisecond and every sleeping millisecond and all the times in between that we spend all of our time with ourselves that we would know that person, us, the absolute best. But we really don't. We don't know ourselves as well as we should. We lie to ourselves. Our sinful hearts fool us. We believers are deceived by our own flesh. I mean, how many times have we thought that, maybe you've had this thought, why did I do that? You know, like we're shocked by something that we did, right? Think about this. Think about the last time that you sinned. I don't care what the sin is. Just think about the last time you committed a sin. Now, some of you right now may be thinking back and trying to pinpoint, when was that? You're going back through this morning or yesterday or even the day before, and you're trying to picture what sin it was that you committed and how was it sin. Maybe think about what the circumstances were that led to it. Maybe somebody, when you're trying to think of this, may have the the pictures right there in front of your mind because... It happens every so often, so like it, that's easy to remember because it just sticks out in my mind that I did that every so often. Or maybe your head is just spinning because you sin so much that you can't pinpoint the last sin because they just seem to keep coming and coming and coming. It's like I'm a sinning machine. You can't even think about it. And then there's others there or somewhere on that spectrum, I'm sure. No, we aren't all idiots or so blind that we don't see our sin. What I'm saying is, because this happens in our lives, we don't know ourselves that well, we don't have God's x-ray vision. We talked about the x-ray, God's x-ray of our heart. You know, God sees us better. And if we had the vision that God does of our lives, how they really are, what they really look like, we would be shocked to see how much of our sin goes unnoticed by us or is relished in, and we don't even know that's what we're doing. This is why we can face a decision. We can, we've got a decision to make. We take some time to mull over our choices that we're looking at, right? Maybe you've got like the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other, right? Whatever. Um, and we take the time to ponder which route that we're going to take What are we going to do here at this moment? We ask ourselves, how close can I get before I do the wrong thing? At what point do I get close enough that, uh uh-oh, that's not good? Can I do this much before I enter into sin land? Or we we think about it like this. I can just do it this one time. It's wrong, but I feel like it may be the best option for me right now in this moment. I can ask for forgiveness later. God will forgive me. It won't be so bad. I'd venture to say most of us aren't having those types of interactions with ourselves regularly, mainly because we we don't take time to slow down and think through these things often. 
Usually it's, it's the bigger things in our life is when we have those types of thoughts, right? We're making billions of decisions all the time, right? We don't have time to stop and think for every decision. That's all we would do. You know, our mind is flying through life, and it's a fraction of a second as these things come on, and, and then we've decided that's what we're going to do. We fall into the same sins. We feel guilty. We feel terrible. We can't figure out how we ended up in the same place again. We ask, like, how does this keep happening? Or, like I said before, you ask yourself, like, what were you thinking, dummy? With this incredulity that, that oozes, there's, there's no way I'm here again. I'm better than this. This inner dialogue where we beat ourselves up thinking, you know better. It's because sin blinds us. And it does make us look stupid. Sin makes us stupid. We do things that, in hindsight, go, Why? I would never have done that. Or we'll say, we see somebody else committing a sin. We say, I would never do that. Be careful when you say that. Right? I've thought before, and I have even prayed this. I've said, God... Give me the vision of myself that you see of me. And that later, like as time has gone on, I'm very, very thankful God did not do that for me. <laughs> because if I could see my life the way he sees it, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I, we couldn't handle the ugly of that. Uh, none, none of us could, right? God is gracious and he uses means and our own choices and lives to reveal our hearts to us and how he sees best for us. God uses these things for us because he recognizes that. I'm not saying that as believers, God doesn't look at us and see Christ's righteousness, right? I'm, I'm not denying the gospel here, but, but what I'm saying is that God sees us perfectly. He is sovereign. And he knows our days. He knows all the hairs on your head. He knows what you did that one Thursday four years ago, right? He knows all these things. And if we could see all that detail that God sees, it would be overwhelming for us. God is patient and he is wise. He's so wise that he's able to use our own sinfulness. The perfect and holy God uses our own sinfulness as well as the body of Christ, your boss, your co-workers, your spouse, your children, uses friends, neighbors to give us these glasses to see ourselves. And even at that, we miss it a lot. We miss it so much because we have to be on the lookout all the time. We've got to be looking for these things. God is faithful to not let an opportunity slip by without working in us to make us more like Christ, we just don't always take advantage of those opportunities when they come up. I was thankful for Andrew filling in for me last week. Uh, the trail of our time, our money, and our affections leads to our idols. But to follow that trail, we have to look at ourselves. Like I said, we've missed it so much. When we meet with people here at uh, Faith Bible Church to help them with sin struggles or 
suffering that they're going through or any kinds of idols or whatever it may be. We'll talk with them each week. And as, after we talk with them, what we do is we give them something to do the next week until we meet again when we aren't together, right? We, we're going to talk for about an hour or so, and then you're going to have the whole rest of this week kind of put that into practice, think about it, process it, that sort of thing. So we're going to give you things to do. The point of this is to help folks do the work of engaging in this process of changing and growing. We have to do something if we want to change and grow. Maybe the only thing that we do is pray, but we are involved. We can't just hope we will get better or act differently or stop doing this sin or that sin. If, only, if the only thing we do is cry out to God for him to do the work in us, we are doing something. That's what I mean by that, right? Hope is good, hoping that we are going to change and grow. That is good. We should have hope. We should have the hope that God will do that work in us. But we need to know what God and his word says and show it in some type of active response. So I meet with all kinds of people and give them a few things to do before the next time we meet. Every so often, there will be a person who doesn't do that work that week. And there can be all kinds of circumstances on why that may be. So we want to discuss, well, how, why'd that happen? Why didn't you do what we had agreed to? And every so often, somebody will say, well, I didn't have time to do it. So one of the things I want to do is I want to evaluate, did I put too much on their plate? Maybe somebody has too much, and what I did was asking too much. They, they can't do that. It's too much. Right? So if that's not the case, then we have to look at how they spent their time. And usually what they're going to say is, I just had too much on my plate. Right? I'm driving at this point that we don't see ourselves very well. That's what I'm, what I'm hitting at here. I'm doing a little bit of review. What I'll do is I'll say, okay, you don't see yourself very well. Let's, let's write up. I'll write on the board or a piece of paper Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay. And then I'm like, okay, let's look at each one of these days. What did you do? How long did that take? Right? I'm not doing this with everybody. It's just those times when people say, I'm just way too busy. Right? Take some thought. They have to you know, think about, because man, if we meet on a Wednesday and it's been seven days, I can tell you what, what happened last Thursday. I, I don't know. I've got to think about that a little bit. So, but we'll go through that. We'll work through it. I'm not looking for every second of every day. We, don't, we can't do that. Right? But what, how exactly did you spend your time? Sometimes that's the homework. I don't know. I don't know. All right, we'll take a notebook. Then write down, all right, here's today, I woke up, this is what I did, I spent about this much time eating breakfast, getting ready, you know, write that down, and then next week we'll go through that and look at, like, what is, how are you spending your time, right? Invariably, there will be a person that tells me they had zero time to do anything. I had no time. And we go through this exercise, and their eyes are opened, and they're shocked to see how much time they spent on social media or YouTube the internet, video games, mindless things. I mean, we can spend time on those things, but, but when they really look, it's when it's like, oh my goodness, I spent three hours that day on that? <laughs> Some people, three hours is a small amount of time that they spent doing those things. They suck us in. We just need to examine our lives and take the effort to look at those things. Right? Sometimes we have to be like Sherlock Holmes and really investigate what is going on. And because we live with ourselves, we miss these things, right? We're, it's us, and I just don't see it. 
We're bad judges of ourselves. It can be wise. It is wise to reach out for help and talk to somebody. Having somebody that can give an objective view can be so enlightening and so helpful. You know, the same thing goes with money. So we talk about time. Uh, I was just talking with somebody, um, and they were talking about their coworker that uh, is always talking about having money problems. They have so much money issues. They get paid really well. Um, so it's like, why do you have money problems? So they were just kind of talking through, not on the level of like, well, let's look at your budget and how you're spending things, but just talking about how they spend money. Come to find out, uh, this lady is spending like hundreds and hundreds of dollars a week at Starbucks. It's like, you're a single mom. That, why don't we cut out Starbucks? You know, that might be a good thing to do. But they don't see it. That's the thing. You just don't see it. We don't, it's, it's not because she's... Um, just like some kind of idiot. It's just that we live with ourselves and we miss these things. I, f- I got these quotes that were pretty funny. Oh, I think they're fun- interesting. Maybe not funny, they're interesting, right? Money won't make you happy, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. I was like, that's true. There's a lot of people wanted to, yeah, it won't make you happy, but I'm going to give it a good try. J.C. Ryle says, two-thirds of all the strifes, quarrels, and lawsuits in the world arise from one single cause, money. I don't know if J.C. Ryle's accurate on that breakdown of all the bad stuff, but that point is valid that money is a, a big aspect of our lives and causes problems. I mean, I, I don't remember all those statistics, but if you look back at how much um, in the New Testament is talked about money, it's, it's a significant amount. And I'm sure somebody knows what, how many verses were written about it, things like that. It's a lot um, because it causes all kinds of problems. Now, I'm not going to rehash the last lesson, but I wanted to point out this one thing that I want you to take away from this class is that I am asking you to put in some work. I don't want you to be fooled into thinking that after this class, you will have four-step process to revealing your idols, defeating them, and living a holy life. Because if I had that, I would have charged for this class. There's a show I used to watch um, called Survivor. It's a, um, it's a reality show. I'm sure you're familiar with it in some way because it's been around like more than 20 years. Actually, I do remember when uh, Mary Beth and I first started dating, that fir- very first season uh, came out. I was a, li- a couple of guys and I lived in a house together. I remember in the basement watching this show, like, this is amazing. And uh, so, anyway. But in case you, you aren't aware with it, here's the premise. So they take 20 or 30 people, give or take, because uh, each season's a little bit different. They put them in a couple of, couple of teams, maybe three teams, and they put them on this island, uh, usually like uh, Fiji or some kind of thing like that. And it's, it seems like it's a deserted island. There's nothing else there. Uh, they put them out there with just the clothes on their back, a small sack of rice, and a way to, to get water. Um, you know, they have like a little water bottle thing and they got to get water, right? So when they get there, there's, there's nothing. They've got to build a shelter, right? They, they have to find food if they can, something other than rice. Um, they have to uh, figure out how to deal with these measly portions of rice. Okay, so we've got a little bit. How are we going to divide this up? Because I think, I don't know how big the bag of rice is, but it's, it's less than five pounds. You got 20 people for 39 days. You know, that's, that's not a lot, right? Uh, people lose incredible amounts of weight because they're, um, they don't eat, right? <laughs> they're starving. Yeah. On top of that, they have to get along with these 
other teammates, these strangers. You know, the motto of the show is outwit, outplay, outlast, right? How can I outwit these other people, outplay them either physically or uh, strategically, and then outlast, you want to be the, la- the last one standing, um, so that uh, after all of these 39 days, you win the million-dollar prize, right? So they have these competitions that are physically demanding, and as the 39 days they're out there, they just, they wear on people and the lack of food and then the, the, the uh, you know, people make these friendships, but then, you know, all of these, these things that cause these problems, you know, you're sleeping on bamboo sticks or the ground. Sometimes it's monsoon season and so it's raining. There's no protection from the elements. So it gets cold at night and hot during the day and uh, all the while they're competing in these tribes, but it's not really a team thing because you're, it's an individual thing. You want to be this sole survivor, right? Um, this gives all kinds of opportunities for scheming, for lying, for deception. It's wild. A number of seasons ago, there was this one contestant named Russell Hans. Now, Russell came on the show with all kinds of bravado. Um, he was self-assured, he was arrogant, he was loud, he was crafty. You know, many people, probably most of the people come to this island and they want to get to know each other a little bit. Let's take it slow, let's get the lay of the land, figure out who is everybody, where are they from, what, 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 what kind of person are they, you know, then who can I become friends with, who can I make an alliance with, um, they're, they're working that out, they, they have a game plan in mind, but they're going to wait to, they're going to just kind of ease into it, let's, let's see how we can make this happen, right, they don't know who they're playing with, so, you know, they're just kind of watching to see who, who can, who would be a good partner, because eventually, like, who can I team up with that then I can slit their throat, not literally, but, you know, like, I can beat them and win this million dollars, right? Who can I exploit? The whole point of this is to win the million dollars, right? Who can I trust? Trust is a big player in this game. Can I trust this person, or are they using me? There's some trepidation for sure, but Russell came in on a whole other level, He tells the camera that he is going to wreak havoc on these people. He thinks that if he can cause all kinds of chaos, that he can control the people and win the game. I remember watching that going, this is a plan to fail. This is not going to work. This is dumb. I don't understand this. This sounds like it's going to make your life really hard. It's making their life really hard. So the first night there, while everyone is sleeping, he gets up. He takes one guy's sock and burns it. He pours out like half their rice. He tears up part of the, uh, the things that they've built, right? He's kind of destroying things. Then he goes back to bed. And so they wake up in the morning. People are confused, like, whoa, what happened while we were sleeping? What's going on? And Russell was like a genius in the way that he responded to this. Like, he was able to keep the target off his back. He was able to act like, I don't know what happened, you know. And so now chaos ensues in this camp. This next day now, people that were friends are now like guessing like, oh, you did, it's you. I, now we can't. And so it just messes everything up. It creates, there's all this confusion and chaos. The interesting thing was he played that way for weeks he did that for weeks. He would figure out a plan and just then destroy this, these things and create this confusion and chaos. It kept everyone, everyone had no idea what to, 
what to do or what to expect or how to interact with one another. And alliances are being made and then broken. And oh my goodness. Now I won't spoil it for you on how things ended up with Russell. But the thing I took away from his strategy was that being in chaos with others really reveals who people are. When chaos happens, it reveals our priorities. Chaos brings to the surface what we value. You know, there's, um, I don't remember who gave that, um, that quote that everyone goes into war with a plan until the first uh, shot is fired and then it all, it, it all goes crazy. Mike Tyson changed that, said everyone comes into a game plan until they get punched in the face. It's probably the same thing. Like, I'm ready, I know what I'm going to do until you get hit. And it's like, oh my goodness. So I think that's the thing. Like, we all, we all know how life is going to go. I know how I'm going to live my life until it doesn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen. And confusion sets in and it's chaos. It's chaotic. We don't always have a rustle in our life that is stirring up the chaos just for sake of chaos. Now, we're, we're pretty good at getting into messes all on our own, but our idols play a big part in bringing about this confusion and chaos that we see around us. Pastor Brad in this chapter, chapter 8, says, Idols bring chaos like rats bring disease. Chaos and confusion. You have chaos in your life, particularly in your relationships, and you don't know why. Chaos and confusion almost always have idolatry lurking behind them. Questions why? Because idolatry of the heart creates war. James 4 1 asks, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Now, James isn't talking about a world war. He's not talking about a civil war. He's talking about war between individuals, such as between husband and wife, parent and child, neighbor and neighbor, boss and employee. Where do wars and fights come among you? Do they not come from your desires? You want something, but your wife is getting in the way of it, so you got a problem. You want something and your kids are getting in the way of it, and suddenly there's war in your house. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're having a conversation with someone? We're just talking. Things are going good. Maybe you're doing the dishes and they're over here doing their own thing, whatever. We're just chatting and um, everything's just copacetic. It's good. No problem. And then they ask you a question, just normal question. You give them an answer and it is like you are tossed back by their response. It's like you answer their question and they are attacking you. Maybe not physically, but it is like all this vitriol thrown at you, right? Voices are raised, accusations are being tossed around, name-calling. It is like, whoa, I answered the question. What is happening there? Well, you threaten their idol in that moment, right? That's why things can be smooth and all of a sudden, boom, blow up, explosion, right? What's so unsettling is you didn't know it was there. You didn't know your answer was going to be threatening their idol. You didn't know that the answer that you gave was going to have that type of a response. Right? 
my aunt one year gave me this shirt for Christmas that had like a Wi-Fi logo on it. It was like real big right here and it had like this thing at the bottom. What you couldn't tell for, uh, at first was that it had lights in there. And so built, it's like sewn into the shirt were these lights and it had this Wi-Fi receiver on it. <laughs> So you wear this shirt, and when you're near a Wi-Fi base station, it's showing like the one, two, three, four bars, it's moving, and it tells you the name of the Wi-Fi receiver right there, right? So it's pretty clever. When you wear it, I felt like I was wearing like a bulletproof vest, it was so heavy, and it's like, <laughs> nah, I don't know about that. But I had that thought, like, what, what if we had shirts like that? But instead of Wi-Fi, it was displaying, it would display the idols that were at play in that moment, right? You start talking to me about, or my wife starts talking to me about dinner plans after work, displays my idol of doing my hobby before anything else is displayed. That's, that's my idol. Or conversations about bills that need to be paid. Now my idol of wanting to spend money my way is displayed. Or uh, my boss had me stay after work an extra hour and uh, the kids have practice in two different locations and I missed lunch and my wife just called to say this car's making a weird noise, right? So my idol of wanting comfort and ease is displayed on this shirt. Man, wouldn't that be excellent? Then you got a good idea of how you're going to respond to someone. I know, I know what's at work in your heart. That'd be easy. Somebody work on that for me. I'll wear that, I'll wear that shirt. I don't want you to see my idols, but. but truthfully, any of those scenarios happens any number of days in those arguments, they happen, right? We can't figure out what caused this. Why is it that things were just great? Things were normal. No, no problems. We were happy. And all of a sudden now, we're like in World War III. How did that happen? It didn't seem like a big deal to me. Why does what I don't think is a very big deal seem like a huge deal to you? It's very, it's confusing. And it creates, these idolatry creates this confusion for us. You remember my lawn mowing story? Yeah, mowing the yard. I, I told that a couple weeks ago. What I didn't go into much de detail about was how I, blew up at my wife when I got home and saw that she had mowed the lawn. Uh, came home to a mowed lawn, and instead of gratitude and relief, I, I blow up. My idol was unmet, and my wrath was released. I wasn't physical, but I was angry. It's like, why? Why get angry that she mowed the lawn when I wanted to do it? Now, my idol was not having a lawn that was mowed. You know how I know that? Because I got there and it was mowed and I was angry, right? My idol wasn't being on time. You know, because remember I told you the story. I was running behind. I had to mow the lawn and we had an event to be at. So I was thinking like now I've got to get home, mow the grass and go to this event. Well, no, she had mowed the lawn. So we were going to be, be able to make it to that event on time. No, that, that wasn't it either. My idol was that I wanted the neighbors to think well of me because it was me that mowed the lawn. I was the one that mowed the lawn. I, and I had an idol of wanting to have wanted to mow it myself. 
Like to put this on the mental list of things that I did so that at some point I could go back on that list and revel in my accomplishments. It's like two idols right there. And Mary Beth took that away from me. She had the audacity to try and help me. And when I came home, I blew up. I remowed the lawn, consequently made us late. Right? It wasn't World War III, but you get the picture. It was ugly. It was dumb. Perhaps you've got kids that seem to have amnesia each day when they come home from school. Right? They somehow can't seem to remember the chores that they are supposed to do to help around the house. That you have informed them somewhere around six million times. Right? How is it that they can't remember this? Right? These kids of yours have unmade beds. They've got messy rooms. Dishes are piling up in the sink that they're supposed to do. Trash overflowing in the cans. And the bathroom is disgusting. You shout at them about how you shouldn't have to remind them a million times to do the things that they've been required to do for years. It shouldn't be me, the parent, that keeps track of all the stuff that you're responsible for. You're old enough to remember this and do this and know this. We have a chore chart on the, on the refrigerator, right? With the day and the person that's supposed to do it, right? Or the kids are fighting over the remote or the video game console or something is on their side of the room that shouldn't be there, right? And so you walk in and you scream some response about how, why are you acting this way? You're yelling at them, right? You remind them that they are the children. You are the parent. They are to obey you. Maybe you take stuff away and you say, if, this, if things don't change, the results are going to be even worse. So what's going on there? For you, the parent, it's the idol of, I shouldn't have to repeat myself. I shouldn't have to retrain or remind or even tell you again. I shouldn't have to be the one to solve your problems. Just do what I told you to do every time, all the time, without missing it or a mistake. Here's a question to ask yourself after those things happen. That those things are going to happen. You know, one of the things about this class, if we start to identify our idols, we start to work at, at them, these things don't go away. We still have problems. These things are going to continue to be issues. Hopefully, the more that we recognize them, address them, and deal with them, it gets less and less. But I'm not going to give you the, the idea that all problems go away and we no longer have idols. But when those things happen... Taking, a time, taking some time afterwards to ask yourself, what was I thinking when that was going on? Or sometimes I think it's better to say, what was I telling myself before that or while I was blowing up? What was I thinking? Or what, what, what was my inner dialogue? Right? And usually in the moment, you're not going to be able to tell that because you're going to be fired up. Right? It's going to be taking some time away when things have calmed down, the dust has settled, you're in your room or your office or whatever, and you're thinking about it. Now, this is going to be tough. I don't, I don't deny that. It is tough because at first blush, you may think, I wasn't thinking about anything in particular. But we, you were. 
We are. We're always thinking. Take some time away, quiet. Go where you can take a moment and think about your thinking. You were telling yourself something. It was probably in the fraction of a fraction of a second, our minds have this unbelievable ability to have thoughts fly through them faster than the speed of light, but thoughts are happening. Now, I'm not a big journaler. It's not something that I have really um, have done very well. But one of the things over the years that has been such a help to me is when I've worked through issues in my own life, if I've got issues that I'm really struggling to get through, is taking a notebook and writing these types of things out that I'm struggling. I've seen so many people helped by this simple task of writing out what was going on, what were the circumstances in that moment, what, were, what was I thinking, either before it, during it, what, what was the thoughts that I were going through, what was I telling myself, and then what did I do about it? Now, when we're doing that, the reason we're doing this is because something didn't go right. Okay, so we responded wrongly, we had wrong thoughts, that sort of thing. So if I take the time to do that, I don't want to stop there. Because that isn't really all that helpful. That just tells me all the bad, wrong things I'm doing. I need to go beyond that. So then what I do is then, all right, I'm going to take some time to figure out what would have been a better way when that situation comes up, right? What could I have done different? What would I have thought? So when that thought comes, where I, a sinful thought, how do I fight that? And how could I have responded differently? Were the actions? If you take time to process your thoughts like that, a pattern is going to emerge. If you take a notebook and you write that out for a week or a month, and then you go back and you look through those things, you're going to start to see, ah, now I get this. Because you may not be, like I said, we don't know ourselves that well, ironically. So it may be a struggle to figure out what is the idol that I am really struggling with. You take some time like that, you look back, you start to see these patterns emerge, you start to see what the idol is. Then you've got a way to deal with it. Now, I'm not suggesting you do this all the time every day. We, we can't do that. We don't have the time for that. It's not doable. But if you're experiencing chaos and confusion, then God is using that to reveal your heart. Don't waste the opportunity Take time to look into your heart. Pray that God will help you see your idols and see your heart as he sees them. God uses this chaos, but his bigger concern than the dirty dishes is your ugly hearts. Now, one of the things we talked about was repentance. And I, I talked about a, a plan for repentance, and one of the ways we talked about that was the put off, put on, renewing your mind principle. Okay, what, if I said, define repentance for me, simple, easy, how would you define repentance? Yeah. Changing of a purpose, okay. How else would somebody uh, define it? Changing your mind, so turning, right? Turning that, changing, going, right. Here's the thing that we miss sometimes is that all right, I'm turning away from a sin. I'm changing my purpose. I'm changing my mind on things. So I need to change. I'm, I, I have bought into the lie that this idol is going to give me what I want. Okay? That is the, we have idols of the heart of, I've bought into that lie. I'm aware of this now. 
chaos, confusion has hit, I've done the work, I see that, all right, I need to repent of it, I need to stop doing that. And this is what happens. People will say, okay, now I'm going to stop doing it. Okay, but what are you turning to, right? What are we changing that purpose to? We have to change it to something else. Because if we don't, if we just say, I'm just going to stop doing it, we may be able to have some success. I may be able to stop doing that one thing, right? I'm not going to say that you may not. The, the, look at uh, the world. They, all the, the, there, there are people that are able to stop doing things all the time, right? But if I've identified this idol that's play, at play in my life, I need to then replace it with God-honoring thinking, meditating on his word, and the right actions, because if I don't do that, if I just say I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to turn from that, what I'm, what I'm really inviting is more idols to set up shop, more problems to come. I'm, I'm fooled, I'm lured into and fooled by this idea that I'm able to stop doing this without doing the, that, that next step. It's only part of the work. So that repentance is I'm turning from that to something. Our lives may be filled with confusion and chaos, and that could be brought on by our idols, or it could just be the world around us. The world around us is confusing, and it is chaotic. We don't always have control over what is happening around us and to us, but we do have control over how we think about it and how we respond to those things. So we need to be on the lookout for where we have idols at play, repent of them, and turn to the gospel. Think about the gospel. Meditate on it. Remember, the gospel changed you from a dead person. You were spiritually dead and you are now alive in Christ. Being alive in him means we can live lives that look more like his as we address these idols and we look to the cross. It's going to take some work. We're not going to do it perfectly. We won't eradicate all the idols. Like uh, um, I said, I think in week one, our, our hearts are idol factories, right? We're going to deal with an idol. There will be more that come, right? So this is a battle that we fight till Christ comes back or we are with him. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's hopeless or that there is no way to see victory in this. Um, these are the things I want to say. I don't think in this book, uh, as I look down through the chapters as I've read this, that we talk too much about, um, like he doesn't have a chapter on this, about having, seeking help from others. I want you to know like that is what the body of Christ is for, um, and we should be willing to reach out and tell people, I need help. This is what I'm seeing my life? Can you help me? Um, and also be willing to help others when that happens. I think we can do that. We can help to tamp some of the chaos and confusion and help to see some things, um, see victory in that. Let me pray. God, you are a God of order. You are a God who is righteous. You bring peace and calm but in your wise, sovereign way, you are able to use the problems we create and the sin that we bring, and you can amazingly use that 
to open our eyes and see how we are falling short of your glory and how we are living lives to please us rather than please you. Lord, you came to this earth to seek and save the lost, not just to save us so that we could have a great jolly time in heaven, but because we can be more like Christ. We can have lives that are full. We can have lives that help others and bring glory to you. Help us to do that, Father. Thank you for Faith Bible Church. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.